Hello. Welcome. I'm Mary Thaler. And I'm Jeffrey Edwards. Welcome to Writing Off the Deep End. So today we have an episode on names and naming. Yes, another favorite topic, although we have lots of favorites. So, names. If, uh, we're telling stories, we have characters, we have settings, we have places, and all of them need names. You, you were writing a, a story, you were telling a story that set thousands of years into our future and on the other side of the galaxy, perhaps. Right. So, uh, so names will be, names will, are part of the signifier of that difference. Right. So I feel that, you know, in the future, all of our cultures will have mixed. And so I often pick names, uh, of characters where mm -hmm. the first name is from one culture and the second name is from a different culture, because mm -hmm. I think those kinds of mixings will yeah. happen. Yeah. Do you have to have the names for your characters before you can start Well, I, I have a certain number that mm -hmm. I have done and prepared ahead of time. Okay. Um, but then others, you know, you come along and then you realize that you need a new character to do something and then you need a name for the character. Mm -hmm. And so there are sort of add-ons that, mm -hmm. that, that come into it as you go along. Do you ever stall on it? Sometimes I'll be writing and the flow is really good and a new character comes in and I haven't thought of a name for them yet and and suddenly everything just gets bogged down and I because oh, I usually I don't allow myself to get stalled I, mm -hmm. I give them a, a kind of a working name okay and a then I use that for a little time until and and while I'm thinking about mm -hmm. how I want them to be named or how they they feel themselves they should be named yeah <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> the, the character gets some say the character gets some say. They usually have a fairly strong idea mm -hmm. of what, what, what things should be, right? And how about yourself? Do you, is it similar for you or? Well, like I said, it, it's, it's something that I work hard at because I, I tend to, I, I do tend to stall out on names. It's not something I feel I have an innate gift for. And so I have to, I have to work at it. Um, and hopefully that, that work pays off and the reader never even suspects that I spent hours <laughs> agonizing over <laughs> over what to call that person. I mean, what I'm writing right now is historical fiction, and so I get a lot of, um, <laughs> I get a, a lot of the work is done for me, because if they're real characters, then I can actually go and look them up right. on the manifest of the, of the ship. Uh, where I've had, where I have had to invent names is uh, for the characters which which wouldn't have been named in those official documents. And so um, those are my non-human characters, uh, dogs, things like that. But even there, I've been, able, I've been able to track down their names. Even for the science fiction, when I'm looking for names, I will dig up the dictionaries or the name lists on mm -hmm. the net sure. for uh, Finnish names or... Exactly. Yeah. or Thai names or whatever, mm -hmm. and then I and then I'll pick names as partly because I'm looking at meanings of the names mm -hmm. because they matter for me. Uh, so I did that for the Polish names that I had for the um, mm -hmm. for this uh, historical piece that I was working on. And names don't just have a geographic origin; they they have uh, names rise and fall in popularity. That's true over time. So um, uh, you're. Probably going to have to think about what names were common in the 1940s. I did. I did look into that. Age. So there are certain 
Polish names that are quite common today, but wouldn't have yeah. been used so much in that time. So um, that was certainly part of the research. Yeah, yeah. you've done uh, texts in um, Lapland or this kind of thing, haven't you? Oh and, gosh! And, or, or even the Viking one, where you had to come up with some names for that one. Well, I was just—I'd be curious how you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, uh, when I was trying to write in Anglo-Saxon meter, a big driver for choosing names there was that I had to make them alliterate. And yeah, yeah. So I would just get, I would get to a line, and I needed a name that started with V. So that that was why Valka was named Valka. She Just used it, it to be Valka the Valor. The <laughs> metric worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, Ulf Hilder, I, I just needed a lot of, uh, I needed a lot of, Things that would alliterate with with H. Now that I think back, I think I re I really liked um, the the suggestion of the word wolf. I mean, she was a a powerful and somewhat vicious woman, and I liked to be able I liked being able to evoke a wolfishness in her character. But her husband Thorsten definitely had another name. And it was just too hard. I can't remember what it was, but it was too hard for me to match up okay. <laughs> <laughs> with the alliteration. So I gave him the name Thorsten. And... So what about settings? Uh, settings is also for ah, place names. <laughs> place names. Place names. Um... So again, it's research, I guess, for, for the work yeah. that you do. I don't often make up my settings uh, in the same to the same extent. That but you, you would do. in science fiction, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know that that's a major thing for you. For you, the whole world has to be created. Has to be named. named. So I do invent completely new words in some cases. Yeah. But I often, I have to say that I often use a kind of a wink at existing writers or yeah. books. Or so, I, for instance, I have a series of planets which I called... Uh, I call the moon uh, Gomra, which is taken from Alan Garner's work yeah. on fantasy and science yeah. fiction. So um, I, I, I sort of wink at different writers, yeah. and I've done the same for scientists and... and uh, I think there can be a rationale for that, because of course our names are rooted in our histories, or, or the history of the place. And so uh, if you are imagining a future whose history is our present, then, then these these roots that go back and and ones that people don't even the the people living in the future wouldn't even grasp the mm. full connection, but that sense of continuity that you can give with a name is I think something pretty powerful. Yeah. Oh, I I wanted to ask you about uh, names. Of course, are are very tied also to the language that yes. we're speaking, and and so uh, not only. Um, we have to give names to people, we give names to things and concepts in science fiction and fantasy. Right, that's true. So I have my own glossary, for instance, in the science fiction story mm -hmm. of things that I've named. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, are, the, are the people in your, your book speaking uh, English? I think they are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it's very far future. So right. I imagine the language would have shifted. And mm -hmm. there are some writers who play with that and actually yeah. sort of show you a, a shifted language. Yeah. But I kind of feel that if you shift it too far, your reader's not going to want to make the effort to understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so my technology is called um, 
Binac, B I N A C H. But yeah. that's a it's a mobilise, so a, um, a, a, that's a French again mm-hmm. for this idea of taking several words and squeezing them together to form one word. We call it in English a portmanteau. Yes, which is another French word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. binac is a portmanteau yeah. of of um, um, biotech, nanotech, mm-hmm. and tech. Yeah. Uh, so bi from bio. Na from nano, and then the ch from the end of tech, Mm -hmm. and like a lot of the names or the words that I use in my books, it wasn't the first thing I came up with. In fact, I started talking about Mm -hmm. bin bin binotech or binotech, Mm -hmm. but over time, writing out binotech every time became too much, and so it got shortened. It didn't, and eventually, it became binac. Yeah. but almost through an organic process. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of reflects the way language shifts anyway. So yeah. I actually, I think I discovered that process with BINAC, but then I applied it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I started, I would use an, a new term and then I would use it for a while until I saw it shift. And then it's the shifted versions that I would eventually incorporate into the book. Yeah. So <laughs> when you were talking about how language drifts, that I've been doing, that's something I've had to do a little bit of work on um, for my, my work that's set in the Arctic, because lots of things have names in the original indigenous languages, which have actually seen a huge shift in orthography over the the years and centuries. So as I was researching just even things so basic as place names, uh, I didn't want to give them, I wanted to give them their indigenous name because, well, that's their name, uh, but I didn't want to give them the 21st century indigenous, indigenous name. I, I wanted what a, uh, what a literate indigenous Greenlander would have written that name as in 1875. Right. And, and that turned out to be a big problem. The indigenous word for a, a non-Greenlander at the time was Khalinat. Uh, and, and that's spelt Kabluna in the Western Arctic and Kathlunat in, in Greenland and has a totally different spelling in, in Cumberland Sound. And it is I think disrespectful to take those, in fact, quite diverse uh, cultural expressions and muddy them together. So I did. I tried very hard to make sure I had the Greenlandic spelling uh, for each of them. <laughs> so thank you for watching, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode, which is something different. Uh, this was a, a brainwave we actually only had recently to talk about visual storytelling. About illustration. Right, illustrations and uh, comic books and different mm-hmm. kinds of formats of of doing the storytelling in a different way. Mm-hmm. So uh, we look forward to talking to you about it next time. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs>